It's Tuesday, November 7th. Go vote. Please put country over party. It's the Focus Group Unbuttoned with Tim Bennett and John Nash. An off-the-cuff take on politics, pop culture, and current events. This is TFG Unbuttoned. Hello, everybody. Tim Bennett here in Philadelphia with John Nash in New York City. Thank you for listening to our podcast, TFG Unbuttoned. And also thanks to Critics' Choice Video for sponsoring our podcast here each week. Critics' Choice Video is America's movie and TV authority since 1987. They make that sound so old, but it's uh, it's not old. Of course, learn more about us and our live Wednesday show, The Focus Group, at focusgroupradio.com. Lots of focusgroup.com stuff. So you have to be sure you do that. But there's we've got three great stories today, but the most important thing we want everybody to do is uh, is get out and vote if you haven't already. It's it's an important election, as they all are. I try to vote in every election. I do try you, to John? vote in every primary, and I try to vote in every election. And on the primary front, someone once said to me, like, you know, they were, they were registered as an independent. And I said, that's fantastic. But the problem with being an independent is you cannot influence the candidate choice. We're still a two-party system, and whether you ascribe to one or the other at least you have the ability to vote in a primary which is why i'm registered to vote in those kinds of things so i do primary i do every election that comes along because it's my civic duty right we had a couple of listeners that were upset because we had made the comment or i think i had made the comment about a wasted vote if in the last election you voted for jill stein or gary uh gary johnson that the reality is in a two-party system a protest vote doesn't do anything and uh, and that's what happened. And people were like, ah, you know, Hillary was this and Hillary was that. But um, I'll tell you what, I'd rather had Hillary the last two years than, than this mess we have. So thanks to all you people who decided to do your protest vote. But now it's maybe time to make it up because I hear people maybe saying that uh, maybe they didn't get what they bargained for. We'll see. So we'll we'll see. see. You know, the uh, the punditry or whatever you want to call the talking head class on TV is is gaming they're all trying to figure out what it all means it's going to be the largest turnout in the midterm since 1960 something and early voting's happening in 11 or 12 states and the volume's really high what does it mean and and then you have trump running around banging the drum about you know the caravan and criminals and invest and you know immigration in general which seems to be turning off moderate voters in the you know urban and suburban areas but that fires up the base well, I just saw a commercial. I, I I was shocked. I just saw one this morning before we came on air here that uh, it was by Donald Trump. I don't know if they're playing it up in New York, but essentially it's the caravans coming, the caravans coming. And it was about how they're all bringing in disease and crime and they're going to be a drain on the system. And it, and at the end, it's like this this message brought to you by Donald Trump, da, 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 da. And I, I thought it was a joke initially, but this whole caravan thing has really gotten... Well, okay, uh, so I think you probably saw that on MSNBC, A, and B. I don't, I don't know if you know this or not. CNN actually banned that commercial, but, but, M- <laughs> but MSNBC had no problem running it. And a lot of people... Well, take the money. Well, a lot of people, Senator Jeff Flake, even Republicans were like, this is racist. It is, it's a dog whistle. The caravans 800 miles away from the border, and you're talking about children and parents escaping the the gangs of El Salvador, where they basically can't even leave their homes to buy groceries. So, I don't know. The well, look, 
as you said, we can talk about it for a million years. Go vote on Tuesday. We'll see where the chips fall. I think that I'm curious to see what happens in Pennsylvania, actually. We know what's going to happen in New York. I'm pretty sure that the Republicans may or may not keep a couple of their upstate seats, um, you know, but it's a Pennsylvania is one of those areas that I'm really intrigued by because there might be some pretty big swings. Well, yeah, there's there's expectation that for the first time we'll send some women uh, to the House of Representatives for the first time in a long time, because right now it's an all male delegation and there's definitely some women running against one another. So there definitely be some women in the delegation in PA for a change. The governor, I think, though, is a Democrat. He's pretty, pretty solidified. And Governor Kate and uh, Senator Casey who is um, a Democrat, uh, I think he's pretty secure as well. But we'll see. You never know. We were all surprised last time. Well, and that's what everybody keeps saying right now is, you know, hold your breath. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. So you found some great stories this week. And the, and the first one, I um, it's, it's just a feel-good story. And I thought, you know, at the end of the day for me, it, it, was, it was the reminder of It Takes a Village. And with so much bad news, we seem to be oversaturated with bad news. I thought this was such a good news story. And uh, the headline was patrons of a California shop buy donuts by the dozen to give owner time with his wife. Now, anything with donuts in it catches my attention. I love a donut. A good donut. You like a good donut. A good. I love a good donut. I've had bad donuts and I eat them and then I'm upset about the calories. But a good donut's a, a good thing to have. So um, this donut shop is in L uh, Los Angeles in Sail Beach. And Seal Beach, and uh, apparently the owner's wife had 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 an aneurysm, and but they're the only two running the shop. Well, there's right? there's him and his wife, and there's a baker that comes in, and for the past thirteen years, John Chan, who's sixty two, they would show up at like two in the morning um, with the baker, get the shop, you know, start making the donuts, the whole thing, open the doors at four thirty, and they did this seven days a week. Um, and there, the John Chan, the, the guy, the 62, um, he and his, and his wife, Stella are both refugees from Cambodia, if I read that correctly. And, and they, right. And I was wondering whose jobs they took because getting up at two in the morning to make the donuts, I, I guess they're taking Well, there you jobs. go. Here we go again. They're, they're, <laughs> they're <laughs> beloved mean, members of the community. <laughs> they're very hardworking people. And his wife suffered, yeah. Stella Chan suffered an aneurysm a little while ago and, you know, he's trapped in the shop because it's their source of income, it's their business, and yet, and he wants to spend more time with her and help her rehab, and I do think she's improving. So a woman discovered this story, and her name was Dawn Caviola, and she's 58, and she's been a regular at the Donut City shop for about 13 years, visiting twice a month with her daughter. And then when she found this out, she went home and she thought, how can I, how can I help? I couldn't get it out of my head. And she did a blog post uh, to some private community network called Next Door, and she asked residents to go in, and even if you're not a big donut fan, just buy a dozen or so, help him sell out the inventory so he can close the shop early and go be with his wife. And this thing really took off, right? Yeah, it took off so so successfully, of course. And who doesn't love it when you bring donuts to a meeting or bring donuts to, to work or, or hand them out? And so this went viral on uh, on the next door. I don't. Do you, do you use next door no, upstate? I've, it's a really. I've never gap. heard about it. You okay. got to join it. I'm sh I'm sure there I'm sure there's one up in up in the area where you are. I joined the one down in Rehoboth. It's it's talk about old lady gossip, but it really has all of kind of the ins and outs. What's really going on in town? 
so if you if you go to Nextdoor and sign up for your local one, but that's where she posted this, and uh, so it went viral. And I think one of the the days just recently, by eight thirty a.m., they were sold out of donuts, and people were going there. And someone suggested maybe they should do a GoFundMe page, but actually the owner um, said no. He actually did prefer having the time with his wife, as you said, to help her with rehab. So he didn't want a GoFundMe page as much as he wanted the time to help his wife. Um, and I, I just thought it was just such a nice I, I loved the whole, when when I got to the part where they were going to do a GoFundMe page for him, and he politely declined, saying he'd rather have the time with his wife. Hidden in that sentence is, he'd also like to earn his way. You know, it's one thing to have people come to the store and buy your product, and you're sold out by 8.30. And they're going to use the donuts, they're giving them away, they're taking them to work, they're bringing them to school, fire department, whatever you want to say. But at least he's still doing his business, opening the doors and making a product. And he didn't want the charity of a GoFundMe page. He just wanted people to continue buying the donuts, which I think, you know, here we go again. You know, right. John Chan, refugee, <laughs> 28 years doing this in Southern California. Um, you know, I think it's amazing. Yeah, well, no, that goes back to the whole it takes a village. And I thought it was just such a great great thing you know there's a just a quick sidebar there's a pizza place here in philly i haven't gone yet but it's one of there's a lot of homeless obviously around in any major city in the u.s and there's a deal where you can go in and buy a slice for a homeless person they put it up they kind of tack it on the wall and uh you know the the little receipt or the gift receipt and uh if you're homeless you can come in or you don't have the money you take the uh, receipt apparently it's worked yeah it's worked out quite well for a slice of pizza you know what? And, that's um, a that's a great idea, well. and it's very humane. You're you're buying a slice for yourself. I'll do this charge a slice for someone. Yeah, and put that on yep. the wall, and someone comes in, they take the gift thing, and they could just grab a slice. And I think that's just far more effective in dealing with some of this stuff than demonizing it a or you know ignoring it, which is what a lot of people do anyway. Yep. So this is a good this is a feel good yep. story, and and I do think it ties a little bit into this recent immigration bashing that we've been hearing on the airwaves. Yeah, uh, and a, no, I thought it was well. I thought it was well done. This the second story you picked. This came from CNBC. You 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 seem to be finding better stories than me. Mine were all kind of sad, <laughs> sad. But um, but this one the the headline is Apple, Amazon, and over fifty others come out against. Uh, the Trump administration's gender gender definition changes, and as you know, in the news, as the New York Times reported it, and, and another uh, a number of other outlets, that the Trump administration was considering limiting the definition of gender to your birth anatomy. So whatever you were, however you were born, if you're born with male anatomy, that you were a male and that's it. Um, should you be a transgender person? And you went from, you transitioned from male to female, you would still be considered a male, which obviously has a whole group of, or a whole uh, raft of issues and and problems, I suppose. They said there's over 1.4 million Americans who identify as a gender other than what they were assigned with at birth. I actually thought it was more than I did too. I did too. Um, And, you know, just to ref this, we went over this. This, this administration, um, their desire to, to categorize gender strictly based on biology, biological parts, not, not how you right. represent yourself. We did that on last Wednesday's focus group, and you could find that on focusgroupradio.com. We had the outlaw Philadelphia lawyer Angela Giampaolo on, and she discussed this at length, and it was kind of fascinating because there's going to be, if they do this, 
they're literally going to write a class of pe- a, a sub you know a set of people out of existence in some ways from a federal point of view and so seeing this yep. letter come out by um, major corporations, I mean, it's Adobe, Airbnb, Amazon, American Airlines, Apple, Bank of America, I'm Ben and Jerry's. I'm just cherry picking Facebook, Google, IBM, JP Morgan Chase. I mean, these are not small companies and they represent a huge um, part of our bottom line and they, they hire and work with many, many people. And, you know, corporations have always recognized that diversity and inclusion are good for their business because it's, that's, that's who their customers are. <laughs> there's no, there's no mystery here. You know, th- these are your customers. This is the, this is the business has always struck me as being more facts on the ground sometimes than government. Here's the people they deal with every day. Here's who they're hiring. Here's who they're filling jobs with. And here's who they're serving. They don't, put rose-colored glasses on. They're like, oh, okay, we have to be this way now. I mean, that's what this said to me, and I, th- I think it was great that they did this. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm glad they did. Yeah, there's. they said it represents, the companies that signed represent 4.8 million employees, and they said currently 80% of the Fortune 500 have clear gender identity protections and two-thirds have transgender-inclusive health coverage. And so this was done through, I believe it was the HRC, and, and uh, they said they mobilized 15 other LGBTQ community or, um, organizations. I had two takeaways from this. I don't know if you can guess what they were, but um, my one takeaway was I was shocked to see no auto brands on here. I did not even notice that until you mentioned, and but a lot of auto companies have have diversity policies in place, right? Yeah. But, I, you know, they're obviously not signatories here. And then I thought, is this letter going to be something about as effective as a as a U.N. You know, missive to Iran or North Korea? You're violating sanctions. You're possessing nuclear weapons. I, so I, I was wondering where this was this going to the White House? And if so, well, let's look yeah, at it this yeah, way. You know, I think it's glad they did something. But I, I kind of thought, well, OK, it's nice they did it. But what what? What's really going to you know, come the, of These it? 50 know. companies represent 2.4 trillion in av- an annual revenue, and they employ 4.8 million people. Um, you know, you would have thought that the letter that was written to Mike Pence when he was governor of Indiana, when they were trying to sign that religious freedom thing, maybe that was just an, a gesture, but it ended up being an effective one because the business community lined up against that proposal. And that went down. I mean, it didn't, you know, Pence had to walk that one back. So I know that the... Well, because it was they th- because they threatened to not do business with Indiana. Correct. Yeah, so that that was the difference here. And so I'm trying to figure out what what beyond the letter can be done or can can they do? You and I've talked about this before, though, about the HRC and some of the there seems to be a void of leadership right now in and uh, in the LGBT community. Well, actually, your example opinion. has always been that when we when we were working with the HRC back in the day, we knew that the figurehead of the organization and the person who got the press and who talked for the organization, Elizabeth Birch, was a very active um, head of an organization. I don't, yeah, I can't pinpoint an individual at this moment in time who's representing specifically the entire organization of HRC. I mean, there's there's communications people and this comes from this person. But she was really, really a figurehead in a positive way for the organization. So I think that this this is just another little thing on the balance. It's another nugget that says we do not agree with what you're doing and you don't even you shouldn't even be thinking about this. It's like, you know, but I agree that, you know, whether or not it, it 
moves the needle and changes their position or just puts a, a stop to it altogether. Hard to say because, you know, as all this stuff goes on, caravans and everything else, as I said on our show last week with Angela and on Unbuttoned earlier, they're stacking the courts. There's all this stuff going on behind the scenes, slowly but surely. You know, just as a sidebar that has no relationship to this, but, you know, you cannot find any reference to climate change on any of the government websites now. Whole chunks of science have been removed that people can't access anymore, reports that are gone. And that's a very, very clear effort by this administration to basically say, you know, that was then, this is now, we don't believe in it. <laughs> yep. So it's it's not a fact-based thing we're dealing with. And these are facts. When a company puts a letter together saying, these are our employees, these are our families, we don't believe this, it's it's running into what you said. It's like, eh, okay, hey, they didn't like it. But we'll see. I think it was a, a good gesture, and I was very pleased that corporate America made the stand, regardless of where the stand goes. Yeah. And the, the last story... This is wonky. Uh, this is totally you. wonky. Well, I'm just upset you and I didn't have a piece of the ad business. <laughs> um, yeah, how true, right? So the so the online furniture uh, furniture site Wayfair... So the headline, this, this also came from CNBC last week. It says, Wayfair spent $196. So we'll say that again. Wayfair spent $196 to win over each new customer it added over the past year. So they spent and fin- finish the headline, a- though. <laughs> shares. Cr- well, then the shares, shares crater on Wall Street. Yeah. So they spent about one hundred ninety six dollars or one hundred ninety six dollars for each of the new customers that added in the set of, of its three point six million new customers this year. And so it, it equated to an advertising spend of over a half a billion, but seven hundred and seven million dollars. The, the re- which is just and this is why this this caught my eye, and I just plucked it out. It's short. This is literally a four paragraph piece. It's basically their share slid by fourteen percent. They've spent, they've added three point six million new customers, but at a cost of, as you said, from their advertising budget, seven hundred and seven million. Um, and then customers only spend about 400 bucks a year with them. It seems like a rather excessive and completely unprofitable, unprofitable acquisition cost. One of these analysts wrote, and I just say to myself, you know, like I bought something from Wayfair recently. I'm not necessarily a loyal, loyal customer. How many times do you need to buy a table or a chair? Well, I was going to say, how was your experience? Because they're saying that in order to solidify themselves as the best go-to you know, furniture online and have the best experience versus, say, Amazon, that they're hoping that word of mouth is going to help eventually. And that's why the spend was so high. But I, I don't, um, I mean, would you say it was any better than any other online experience you've it was, had? It was right up there with Amazon and some of the other uh, other services we use. This The product arrived on time. There were, you know, we were even able to reschedule. It was a, we bought some chairs for the, for the table here in the dining room. And, um, you know, it was it was fine. The good price, good product, um, great delivery. But when I read this, I'm like, oh my god! Now I know why it was such a good good thing because seven hundred and seven million dollars buys you an awful lot of stuff. And if I you you and I look at this from the perspective of the automotive brands that we've worked with over the years, um, that's a pretty huge number. That that number for automotive would include um, dealer representation. It would require that would be that would be what you and I would call tier one branding, simply the brand. It would be tier two product sales, etc. It would be in in showroom signage. It would be out of home marketing. It would be event marketing. It would be ride and drives. I mean, 
that's a huge budget for an auto manufacturer, right? Well, it's a, it's an absurd budget uh, because seven hundred and seven million is about double what Volkswagen spends of all the things you mentioned, and probably three times what Subaru spends. So, just to put it in perspective, this online furniture furniture <laughs> site is so to me it was kind of odd so i looked up i just did a quick um just a quick synopsis to see what it what other categories spend to acquire customers and so in the travel category do you want to guess what it costs to get a new customer? i'm, I'm going to put it at about five dollars a customer maybe so it was it, it was nine, nine dollars okay. And then for telecom, so Verizon or Sprint or any of those was about 325, which I thought was a very high, but they do an awful lot of advertising. And then for retail and an average retail store is about 12 bucks. And for finance, if they want to get you into a, you know, if you're trying to get a customer into a bank or, or more wealth management, it's about $200 a, a customer, which I thought that was high mm, as well. You know, but, but telecom um, and banking tend to be longer term relationships. So yeah, and they'll make it up. You know, if, one, if, yeah, Verizon fee. spends three hundred to get you, <laughs> and they've got you for five years. They've probably got ten thousand out of you, or eight thousand. I mean, when you actually do the math on your phone bills and the cost of the phone, someone on, um, I think it was the Wall Street Journal, did a thing recently where you know, over the lifetime of most people's use of a cell phone and their plan, they'll spend about seventy thousand dollars. I mean, <laughs> so the three hundred dollar acquisition oh, is go. not is not so high. Then it's not bad, not bad. Hey, we want to thank everyone for uh, for joining us today. We want to thank Critics Choice Video, which is America's classic movie and TV authority since 1987, for being our partner here on TFG Unbuttoned every Tuesday. Be sure to go to focusgroupradio.com and click on their logo and start shopping and saving. Did anything uh, catch your eye this week over there? Critics I'm always going to let people know that when they go to the homepage, they could actually click on a box in the upper left-hand corner and get a physical printed catalog. I love the catalog. And yes, as a result of getting the catalog, I saw in one of their comedy sales a movie that I will always love, and I just don't understand why they haven't um, done a cleanup of the print and put it on Blu-ray. It's it's stars Warren Beatty. In fact, he produced the film. Um, and it's called Heaven Can Wait, and it was released in 1978, and it's a remake of a famous 1941 film called Here Comes Mr. Jordan. And um, it's got uh, Buck Henry in it, James Mason, Julie Christie. So it's like, it's a, I, I love the movie. For some reason, it's just cemented in my head as a cute little thing. He plays a, a football guy named Joe Pendleton who gets killed in a car accident. He's on his bicycle. He gets hit by a car, but he's pulled out of his body prematurely by Buck Henry. And at the way station on the way to heaven, he's like, I'm not supposed to be here. And Mr. Jordan, played by uh, James Mason, figures out that no, Joe Pendleton was supposed to actually live longer and they put him in a different body. <laughs> and, you know, it's you do like that. I, movie. I love so when I see it and it's on sale for seven ninety six, you almost can't say no to it. And I trust me, if you give it a try, I think you'll enjoy it. It's a it's a nice feel good movie. And it just I don't know. There that's what I that's what I took out of it. But again, order the catalog, check out Heaven Can Wait. From last week, I definitely urge you to check out Tim's pick of uh, Monopoly, the Planet of the Apes edition. Hilarious. And we want to thank Critics Choice Video again. Um for joining us here every week. They make, they make Unbuttoned possible. They're America's classic movie and TV authority since 1987. Thank you all for downloading and tuning in every Tuesday, and we will see you in the new week. And as Tim said, vote. 
The Focus Group Unbuttoned, available every Tuesday. Learn more about Tim and John, Unbuttoned, and all of the Focus Group platforms at focusgroupradio.com.